Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream. Uh, we're here on April 14th, 2022. I'm Aaron Schatz, uh, Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders, joined as always on Thursdays by Mike Tanier. Today we are joined by Scott Spratt as well. We've been enjoying uh, some good Kamiko Ture talk. <laughs> I'm a fantasy writer, so you need to update me on who that is. <laughs> going from the Colts to the 49ers, edge rusher. As I pointed out, he had five and a half sacks last year, but only nine total tackles. So he literally did nothing but sack the quarterback. <laughs> All he does is catch touchdown passes. All he does is sack quarterbacks. But uh, we did not – we're not talking – I'll bet you if you broke down the sacks for Ture, you'd find out a lot of, like, coverage sacks or, like, you know, the guy on the other side made the hurry yeah. type sacks. Anyway. Yeah, Buckner running up the middle and he gets the outside. Yep, yep. Uh, we're not talking about edge rushers. That's the one of our – that is the one rookie projection system we are not going to talk about today. <laughs> because we have not released the Saxier numbers yet, although I have them, and they're coming on ESPN Plus this weekend, and you'll be shocked uh, by the incredible tie. <laughs> the incredible <laughs> nice. Um, I was shocked. Yes, Mike was shocked by who ended up at number one among our pass rushers. So that is a little bit of hint for the Saxier projections coming on ESPN Plus this weekend. But before that, we want to talk about all of our other projections, which are the skill positions, not like, you know, as we always talk about, not like other positions in the NFL don't require skills. But um, before I, I get launched into quarterbacks, um, just thanks everybody for watching in the offseason. Of course, tell all your friends, please, to watch the Football Outsiders live stream all offseason long. Uh, please subscribe. Please rate us on wherever you're watching us. Please ask questions live if you're watching on YouTube or Twitch. Uh, rate us as a podcast if you're listening after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. And uh, there'll be one or two more draft shows next. Next is next week. No, there's two more draft shows on Tuesdays, mm -hmm. and this Thursday show. And we'll talk next week about what we're going to do for the draft, and then Thursday shows all through the off season. So please. Make sure you are paying attention. So uh, let's talk about quarterbacks first. This class sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so we're moving on. Folks. Done, done. I'm only upset today because I discovered that in the original Cubase article, we referred to other classes that sucked as 2017 and 2013, which was a typo. It should have been 2007, not 2017. 2007 was the class that sucked with Jamarcus Russell at number one. 2017 was a good class. Okay. 2013 was the E.J. Manuel, Geno Smith class. I don't, I don't, I will never forget that. That was right. 2007 was Russell at number one. And then like Kevin Cobb. Um, and this class is like that. So if we bring up the projections, so the projections are done in the new Cubase, they're done in DYAR per attempt because they combine passing and rushing. So mm -hmm. this includes both passing DYAR and rushing DYAR, but we don't have to talk about what it means per attempt. But basically what's important here is that everybody comes out with their average projection as replacement level or below. Mm -hmm. So the, the five quarterbacks, the top five quarterbacks are all pretty close together with uh, Carson Strong way, way, way behind them. 
because Carson Strong is a statue <laughs> and has no mobility whatsoever. But these guys are all close together. And it's interesting to me because every um, – oh, poor Mike Kurtz is at the Philly airport with bad air conditioning. Ooh. That's not good. Good luck. It is a warm day here in Philly, which means it's probably a very hot day at Philadelphia International. Good luck. We'll do our best, Mike. What interested me is everybody seems to have their guy out of these five. Everybody's looking for a reason to have their guy emerge from the pack, right? Um, uh, Matt Waldman, I think, and JT O'Sullivan, uh, uh, Kevin Cole are all Matt Coral fans. Uh, I know that Derek likes Ritter more than most people do. Mm -hmm. um, there's all the, the Willis, there's plenty of Willis stands out there yep. uh, because of the fact that he, you know, not from a Q-based perspective stats wise, but when you look at his just arm strength seems to have the highest ceiling. Yeah. Sam Howell, I think PFF likes him a lot. Oof. Okay. Um, but interestingly, the one guy who I, I'm trying to think, I'm sure there are specific picket stands out there, but I can't think of who they are, is the guy who everybody seems to have rated, or I guess he's two, because Willis, most people have Willis one and picket two, but it's right. a really unexciting class, and a couple of them are going to go in the first round anyway. Yeah, I I, I don't get the Matt Quarrel. I get the Matt Quarrel, like, because he, he can run – somewhat and he's got a strong arm um but you know we derek uh, classen and i have been running numbers on him running film on him and he's just a guy who runs the rpo over and over and over again he is undersized so much of that offense is built on just fake handoff short pass fake handoff short pass that you come away with looking at his film with like two or three passes to even look at that you can say that you can evaluate and he, he reminds me a little bit of this year's corral reminds me a little bit of this year's kellen mond where you have to give him like this big discount. Well, he's in the SEC and he's always facing SEC corners and edges. And, you know, if you take away all this other stuff, you're left with a good quarterback. And it's like, if you take away the rest of this stuff, I don't have enough to evaluate him on. Yeah. I mean, the question is, is like the fact that he hasn't thrown a lot of traditional drop back passes, does it mean he can't do it or right. just that he wasn't asked to do it? So right. in a way it's almost like Coral is like one of the guys that only started for 12 college games or whatever. And it's like, hey, maybe like if the if the athletic tools are there, maybe that's an intriguing situation. Uh, Joey Sucks says there are picket stands, that, all the dozens of people who have tiny baby hands. Uh, useful title says, hopefully Willis is not this generation's Kyle Bowler, Ooh. a guy everyone fell in love with thanks to his arm. Well, I do think Willis has the mobility type stuff and scrambling and ability to run design runs and whatever Kyle Bowler didn't have any of that stuff. He, he could, he Bowler can run a little, but not like Willis. Willis led the nation in like broke broken tackles and stuff, but I want to pull this stat up here so I don't mess it up. He also led the nation. Malik Willis was sacked 51 times last year, 51 times that led the nation in sacks. That's a high sack total. High sack total is a worry for a quarterback prospect. Yeah. Um, you know, because the, the, those systems are built to not be sacked. You got a lot of quick passes. You got a lot of read options, et cetera, et cetera. And folks will say, well, yeah, I saw Willis against Ole Miss. The Liberty offensive line was just getting manhandled. He got sacked, I think, five times against Army. He got if, sacked. If Willis, if Willis goes to 
I mean, Seattle, right? Wilson has taken so many sacks for so many years. Yeah. Willis have taking sacks is going to have the same problem. Atlanta is going to have the same. Um, Matthew Lecomte asks about the quote from the Cubase article saying that Willis's jump in his projection goes from from minus 0.26 per attempt to plus 2.28 per attempt. Um, I mean, it's a really fairly big jump, but that's because I think Scouts Inc. has him ranked like 50th or something. And if he goes second and we used his use his actual draft position rather right. than his pre for most of the projection systems, the pre-draft projections end up pre- predicting how good players will be better than their actual draft position. <laughs> I think for quarterback, it's the other way around. I think for quarterback, the actual draft position predicts better than the pre-draft. Uh, but don't quote me on that. I'm not sure. We should do some work. I should talk to the other two guys who are sort of in charge of Cubase now and see if they've tested that. So draft capital is not the important, most important data point of Cubase, but going from 50th to second would be a pretty big jump. So that's why his... Rating would jump so high if we counted him as going second instead of 50th. But again, it wouldn't, that's still not, you're still not in top prospect. If that's not the type of quarterback prospect that normally goes number two. Right. Right. Right? Nothing changes the fact that even if these prospects go early, it doesn't change the fact that these are not historically good prospects compared to the kind of guys who come out in recent drafts like your Lawrence and, and I, you know, I think um, this is not from a Q-based perspective, but just from a scouting perspective. I read somebody who said if if last year's guys came out, that Mac Jones was this year instead of last year, mm-hmm. he'd be the number one prospect. Yes. And I think that that's true. Agreed. The, the ironic part of all of this is, at least from a fantasy perspective, a lot of these guys are much more interesting than maybe they are in real life. Mm. And it's mostly because they all run a little bit. So like last year in the NFL, the top rushing quarterbacks were like Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields. They were between about a 21% and 25% run ratio, carries Mm. divided by carries plus pass attempts. And these prospects are like, even Kenny Pickett, 19.9% run ratio, uh, Corral, 26.8%, Ritter, 27.8%, and then obviously Willis being up at 35.9%. So like Willis, obviously everybody's compared him to like Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, like those are fitting in terms of run ratios in college. But guys like Ritter ran as often in college as Kyler Murray did and Justin Fields yeah. did. And yeah. and Corral ran as much as as you know Josh Allen and, and Deshaun Watson did. So if you take the the perspective that, hey, like it's really hard to project how good these guys are going to be as passers. If you find some of these quarterbacks getting opportunities to play and they run like they did in college in the pros, then man, they're going to be actually shockingly useful fantasy players potentially in the short term. I think the biggest fantasy problem is that I can't imagine any of these guys are going to be day one starters. Mm. So I think I think even if whoever, so if you think about the teams that need help at the quarterback position, the mm-hmm. ones that stand out most to me are Pittsburgh and Atlanta. Right. And I think, though, even if one of these guys gets drafted by Pittsburgh or Atlanta, I still think that Trubisky and Mariota are starting week one. So they may make good fantasy stashes, obviously, especially if you're in like a dynasty league. But mm. 
Um, I don't think any of them are going to be starting week one, but I totally agree with you. These guys are going to have more fantasy value than real value. Yeah. Do you have Sam Howell's run rate? Because he runs. Yeah, I skipped that. It's 24.8%. So it's up there with like the Daniel Jones, Marcus Mariota in college. Uh, Again, all of these guys are compared to three years ago and longer ago. These were really outlier high totals of run ratios. I thought you were going to say 74.3%. Watching his film, that's what it looks like. It's funny because like, I feel like since he's a potential Seattle pick, you're just like, there's a lot of things about him that are similar to Russell Wilson, where he's 6'1", kind of short. He throws a really pretty deep ball and he can Mm -hmm. run. But instead of like scrambling around in the pocket to extend plays and throwing downfield, he just like truck dudes. And it's just like, yeah, I'm just going to be straight up zone read dude and just like take (laughs) off running. And you're like, well, you're kind of small for that for the next level, but you know, maybe if we can teach you to scramble instead, uh, that, maybe that could work out. Dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not trucking dudes when you're like 315. Yeah. <laughs> um, a completely different question from Bill Houston asking Scott, would you have preferred that the Panthers signed Teddy Bridgewater as a bridge quarterback, given his deeper average depth of target that he showcased last season? Or would you have preferred that the Panthers rolled the dice on one of the career backups? By the way, the Panthers did neither of these things. <laughs> it's it's tough for me to talk about my Panthers wants because they, at this point, are kind of skewed toward the things that are going to get Matt Rule fired the quickest. Uh, so it, it's not all about the success they could have in the short term. It would be really funny if they went back to Bridgewater after letting him go two years ago. Um, no, like I... I don't think any of these prospects are worthy of a top six pick like the Panthers have. The Panthers famously don't have a second, third, or fourth round pick. Uh, so I don't know. I'd say ideally for me, the Panthers stick with Sam Darnold and Rule gets fired in November, and then the next administration figures out what to do with the team. But I'll say that like it's I, I'm not I'm not totally blaming Rule for all of this because his seeming desperation in chasing quarterbacks. I think shows you that a, a quarterback like Bridgewater that we think is is quite good, like above average, maybe even doesn't get you anywhere. So in Bridgewater's best season, maybe he gets a wild card berth and at best gets destroyed by a Josh Allen type of quarterback in the second round of the playoffs. Right. If you have Super Bowl winning aspirations, then you have to swing for the fences. And I think that's why the Panthers tweeting the Las Vegas Raiders here. Do what? are you subtweeting the las vegas raiders because that's i mean a lot of the discussion on twitter the last couple days has been about the raiders with all the big extension that they gave to Derek carr like can Mm. Derek carr who is like perennially the 10th best quarterback in the league can Derek carr take you to the promised land i mean i think that the 10th best quarterback in the league can take you to the promised land but you really have to have good stuff around him and you have to get lucky. Do the Panthers have good stuff going on? I guess is my question. I mean, the defense oh, yeah. is actually pretty good, but the Raiders uh, have good stuff going on, I guess. Well, it's funny because Robert Mays on the athletic football show, I was talking, I think yesterday about how Derek Carr is kind of the line. I think they called it the car continuum where it's like, if your quarterback <laughs> is better than Derek Carr, then you fully commit and pay him $50 million a year right. and you're good with it. And if he's worse, then you literally don't pay him an extension. You just you take gambles on rookies until you and until you find him. Derek Carr. If, if he is Derek Carr, then you you do both or neither. I'm I'm not entirely sure. That's then you're the, the Raiders. Kind of and you, you go from Gruden to, Mc, to to McDaniel to the next super high strong offensive guru until the cows come home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I guess 
tying the Panthers specifically into the draft, mm-hmm. trying to get into Matt Rule's head, dangerous place to be, you feel like he would, if they're going to draft a quarterback at six, which I think they probably are, they're going to take Pickett or Desmond Ritter, right? Because they can't take Willis and then be like, well, this guy's not going to be ready for to start for a year and a half or two years. He won't make it that long. And so he has to pick a quarterback that they perceive as being relatively pro-ready or else I think they're just out of other options. Of course, Derek does not think that Kenny Pickett is relatively pro-ready. So, no. I, Sure, I think- but, you know, I, I think you can take a fair opinion that, hey, like as good as a lot of these, like, you know, draft study is, we really yeah. don't know in, in all of these cases, right? Uh, so, like, they could all surprise positively or negatively. All right, let's move on to running backs and the back cast projections, which have one running back way ahead of everybody else with our projections. And that is Brees Hall from Iowa State, who uh, not only has a great speed score of 40 time given his weight, but, you know, one of the big things in back cast projections is do you take over the backfield of your team early? And Brees Hall from the very beginning in Iowa State got a very high percentage of the carries there. Like he was the man. Yeah. And then there's a group of guys who are below him, which includes Kenneth Walker, who may actually be the first running back off the board. Mm. Uh, And then our overrated guys are James Cook and Kyron Williams. I think everyone at this point, Kyron Williams is not really overrated anymore. Everybody knows about the terrible 40 time that he put up at the combine. Yeah. He had 40 time as a smaller guy. Yeah. I'll say with both Kyron Williams and James Cook, both below 29 BMIs and typically running backs that become type workhorse type guys are in that 29 to 31 BMI range. So I think, Mm -hmm. They'll have more specialized roles. Not a bad thing from an NFL team perspective, but from a fantasy perspective, hard to see them getting 250 touches a year in their peak seasons. What are are you thinking early on? I mean, obviously you don't have projections because we don't have teams, but what are you sort of thinking early on about these guys from a fantasy perspective? Yeah, so I take take a little bit of a different tack with this than BatCast does, and so – for all of the prospect stuff that goes into the weekly projections and goes into the Kubiak full season projections, I use a K nearest neighbors model that basically says like, how do these guys measure in terms of measurables? How do they do in combine drills? What is their sort of basic college efficiencies like rushing yards per attempt and stuff mm-hmm. kind of measures it up and say, which of those have the best predictive value in terms of, you know, NFL success, and then tries to find similar players to them which it's funny in a couple of ways because one, Brees Hall looks kind of like Jonathan Taylor. They're both 5'11", 217, and 219. Both ran 4'3", 940s. But the funny part is like 40 time we're very obsessed with, but from a running back perspective has basically no predictive value. Three cone and short shuttle drills, which are more about agility type of things, things that a running back could use in the first like two or three seconds of a rushing attempt. Uh, And none of these guys ran it. So it's like it gets harder and harder every year to actually evaluate how good these guys are going to be. Yeah. Moving uh, the combine into prime time, mm-hmm. stretch things out. And all the agents for all these guys said, we're not running these drills because the day is too long. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And so I guess in the end of it, I, I tend to look at a couple things. One is BMI. As I mentioned, I'm looking for guys in that 29 to 31 range as potential bell cow backs. Mm-hmm. Reese Hall is perfectly in the middle at 30.1, very good size. And then I look at college receiving ratio 
as a as sort of a, an idea of how much these guys may be able to, to catch passes in the NFL, which is in particular important in fantasy, uh, especially PPR formats where an average pass attempt is worth like, you know, two to three times of a rushing attempt. Um, and Brees Hall had a very nice 10.3% college receiving ratio, looking for 10% or higher there typically. But the irony is that Jonathan Taylor has been one of the lower guys in that respect, had a 4.3% receiving ratio, and then suddenly has been a hugely effective thing. It's just like sometimes colleges don't really care if the running backs are catching the ball. And so that's where it's it's kind of hard to statistically measure those things. But ignoring right. the Jonathan Taylor of it all, Hall looks like a very good prospect from my perspective. Kenneth Walker comes up in that discussion because Michigan State did not throw him the ball hardly at all. Yeah, 4.7% uh, college receiving ratio. Had 19 catches in three seasons. That's the 10th percentile among major running back prospects in the last decade. And while Jonathan Taylor is down there and a couple other guys like Melvin Gordon and James Conner are down there, it's more guys like A.J. Dillon, Derek Henry, Nick Chubb, Peyton Barber, Terrence West, hmm. some of whom became great workhorse guys in big touchdown scores, which I think is absolutely in the mix. But from a like PPR perspective, those aren't the perfect type of backs for the next level. It, Joey Sucks says the 40 is used in speed score, which is a little bit more predictive, right? It, it is. I do think it's a little interesting that Nathan Forrester doing backcast has the 40 as being predictive and you working on Kubiak have the 40 as not being predictive. I mean, 40 adjusted by weight. Right? Well, and it's I'm going to say predictive. It, his is going to be more sophisticated than mine. It just is. So like, I'll take his word for it that it is, yeah. but like the part of the speed score that I almost find more interesting is again, that also includes height and weight, right? So the BMI obsession that I have, it I think it's just, big... it's actually just weight. It's, it's okay. not height and weight. It's just, weight. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. But yeah, like, so I, I guess I can see that as like a catch all measure of athleticism per size, but I think in a perfect world, if we had, you know, three cone and short shuttle times for all these guys, I think that would probably help. Yeah, it would be nice to have. Um, One thing we do have, by the way, is missed tackle rates courtesy Sports Info Solutions. And this is broken and missed tackle rates. So I pulled this up, the sneak preview of next week's walkthrough. And uh, Kenneth Walker finished first in the nation in broken and missed tackle percentage at 29.9%. Brees Hall was hot on his heels second, 28.5%. So these guys are breaking a lot of tackles, eluding a lot of tackles. Obviously something you want when you're looking at college running backs interesting that that guy tyler algier that keeps popping up he was high in speed score i believe mm -hmm. here he is in back cast he was sixth in the nation in broken tackle missed tackle rate this is a big 230 pound thumper out of byu and when when you first watch him it's like okay this is like a square shoulder run between the tackles maybe catch a screen pass kind of guy and he doesn't initially look that impressive but the more we look at metrics on him the more he's breaking tackles. He is, he is missing some tackles. He isn't just running through guys in the open field. And he keeps popping up on all these uh, projections, which I found interesting about Tyler Algier. Also 9.2% college receiving ratio, higher than you would expect for, as you said, a big thumper. Uh, it seems like he might be a little bit more skilled as a receiver than you would expect given the body type. Yeah. When I watch him, it's almost all screens, almost all screens, but he did, he ran, I saw him run a, 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 a wheel. Uh, Cause remember they had Zach Wilson there a couple of years ago. So I, there's a lot there to say. Again, I think you're looking, Scott, for that bell cow. I'm always looking at who's in the committee, you know, who's going to be helpful. And it's like if you can be the big back end you can catch, you can wind up in the committee. I'm trying to think about which teams need running backs 
you know, I kind of went through the rosters looking for which teams. There aren't really a lot of teams where you're like, this team needs a starter. <laughs> but yeah. there's a lot of teams where you're like, this team needs a committee back. I think right. Houston, I think the Jets could use someone to pair yes. with Michael Carter. I think Bills. Tennessee it would Tennessee is very likely to draft a running back this year because as Henry's starting to get older, they might want to cut his workload a little bit. I think Denver, yes. someone to go with Javante Williams. Who'd you yes. say? Giants. The Giants, yeah, and Arizona also, now that Edmonds is no longer there, could use a, a, a young running back. So those are some of the teams where I think these guys are going to go. But there's no team that stands out to me except maybe Houston where if they draft like Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker, you're going to be like, okay, that's the guy first year. Yeah, I think the Bills are a popular one from people's yeah. perspectives. But I, Devin Singletary – 23.2% uh, of his touches broke a tackle. That's third best among running backs last year with 100 or more touches. If you think like the Bills, you don't. Yeah. yeah. But, but if you think like the Bills fans, you always watch <laughs> running back. And that's how we always operate there. That's the meme pick. And again, a, a committee guy, I don't know how good Zach Moss is, uh, or a different type of back to mix in with those guys, I think would make sense. Like Rashad White, for example, is a smaller, third, pure third down kind of guy. Uh, like mocking him to the Bills and say he's going to be catching your screen passes and I'll make some kind of sense. I think uh, the, Chief, might... the Chiefs would be a funny one because so you you mentioned about the college broken tackle rates. CEH's broken tackle rates have not translated to the NFL. Hmm. 2.0 yards after contact per attempt the last two years is 12th right. lowest of the 31 running backs with 250 or more carries. So like if they got a Brees Hall in the second round, like maybe he is their guy. Right. And those are SEC broken tackle rates because the first thing you would say is like oh it's a broken tackle and he didn't translate oh well he was playing in conference usa or something like that this is clyde edwards hilaire breaking tackles in college at the sec level i'm not breaking them in the nfl oh and joey sucks mentions that the bills have a weaker run blocking line and to me that's that's the big point of this and the answer has been yes and they also have a they have sort of an offensive scheme that doesn't really promote quality run blocking with guys spread out and everything and so if you're just looking at stuff like traditional yards per carry that's where somebody like Singletary doesn't really show as being great. And right. so I'm saying, like, given that he's had harder than than typical opportunities, he's done really well with them. And so that's why I think he's much better than than your average person might su suggest. And I think that that's what the Bills front office thinks, too. I, they don't seem to me like the kind of front office that's going to go drafting a running back in the first round. I, I could be wrong. I wouldn't they don't have, have to. Kansas City was that front office either, and they did. But mm -hmm. The beauty of this is that there's a lot of second, third, and fourth round guys. So, yeah, if, if the idea is to get a committee member, then it's going to be easy to do. And Mike, do you have any thoughts on Pierre Strong Jr.? Love the speed. Love the pure speed. Love what I saw on tape in terms of breakaway potential there. Gets the ball goes. I like him in the second level, like him in the open field. Not necessarily sure he's ready as a pass catcher. And I just worry about that level of competition. Again, when we talk about things like missed tackle rates. Where's he from, Pierre Strong? I believe he's South Dakota or South Dakota State. I think he's South All Dakota right. State. Let me see if I can pull him up real quick because I always get them mixed up. He's a little undersized, too. He's 28.6 BMI, 207 pounds. Right. He's just in this. There are so many guys like I, I like the uh, young man, Isaiah Pacheco from Rutgers. There's just a ton of guys in that caliber of guy where, you know, it, it, they look good on film. They're reasonable. They're a little undersized, but they have a reasonable BMI. And it's just day three. Grab them. If you like them, grab them and put them out there. The Jackrabbits. Yes. The Jackrabbit Jenkinses. Yes. Oh, God, no. 
No. All right. Let's take uh let's move to wide receiver where we have the playmaker score projections. And this is a good class. It's not a great class, right? This is not like the equivalent of the Odell Beckham, Mike Evans class, but it's a pretty good class of wide receivers. That's complicated by the fact that two of them have torn ACLs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so you're probably taking a red shirt year with both uh, Williams and uh, John Mechie. Yes. Um, but here are the playmaker score projections. And I think the surprise to people is that we had Traylon Burks, number one from Arkansas. Cause I think some people see him as much more of a like gimmicky slot guy. He, we, we went into the draft process looking at the video of Traylon Burks, who's a bigger receiver and saying, this could be the Debo Samuel because he is a big slot, heavy slot. He was wildcat. He was in their backfield. He would, they were doing Corderell Paris and Debo Samuel stuff like him. And also funneling the Arkansas offense through him. And I think a lot of us were slathering, waiting for those 40-time results, and they came in around 4-6 or 4-5. I I don't have it in front of me. I can look it up. And then he backed it up once again at the pro day where it wasn't really good 40 times in numbers. And that's sort of like cooled a lot of us on him because if you're a receiver and you come in right on that threshold, I don't care how big you are, all of a sudden you're not a guy who's going to be able to get open by yourself as the NFL. But – Playmaker score, I think, is looking at his ability as a rusher and yep. uh, his, his ability as a yak guy, however that's interpreted. And it, in college, he looks like that guy. James Davis yeah. thinks Traylon Burks is Nikhil Harry. Is he a contested catch guy like that? I mean, that's the problem with Nikhil Harry is that guys who are contested catch guys in college, it doesn't translate to the NFL. You've got to have separation and speed. He was a contested catch guy when he was on the outside, and then he was a screen and break tackles guy when he was in the slot. Again, they used him everywhere. He was the focal point of the offense. So Nikhil Harry is an example. Remember Hakeem Butler? Yep. Uh, that was another concern, and some of us loved That was him. a guy that playmaker score was completely wrong about. Yep. We loved the ability to get up there and, and get those passes and just out-jump guys, and that generally means you're just not open. You're not, the ball never gets to you at the NFL level. And Butler bounced around through a couple of teams. I don't even know what roster he's on, but there, there's a huge boom to bust and who's using him. Is somebody using him creatively or, you know, was he just whatever. And, and those are the questions that are coming up with Traylon Burks. Aaron, you may have to get into this more than me, but I'm wondering if some of this is less about Burks and more about the rest of the class, mm. because something that's been interesting to me is, is that four of the top outside wide receiver prospects are under 190 pounds. Mm. So Jamison Williams is, is more of a field stretcher, and that, that makes sense in the like Marquise Brown kind of type of mold. But Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jahan Dotson, all small, especially like historically from an NFL's perspective. And just to like kind of bring this up, from a fantasy perspective, obviously hugely concerned about touchdowns. The guys that scored eight or more touchdowns last season are almost all like 205 plus pounds. Even the ones you don't think are big, like Cooper cup. Oh, there's a tiny slot guy. He's six two two Oh five. Obviously you have your Mike Evans of the world that are two thirty. DK Metcalf. Jamar chase is 200 pounds. Like these guys are really small. I mean, maybe not quite Devonte Smith small, but this seems like a more recent development and like, what are your thoughts on that? Either Aaron from the playmaker perspective, or Mike, if you have thoughts, like, is this a new rules thing, or is this like a weird class from that perspective? It's not something that's ever been looked at in playmaker score, but I wonder. Now I want to hit Nathan Forster with an email and ask him if he wants to look at weight or BMI because that is interesting that it's sort of lower than ever before. 
I've never and, really thought of a lot of 190 yard guys. It, it may not matter, especially now that we have some of these like total freaks like Jalen Waddle, small Tyreek Hill, small, and they could just kind of explode downfield and score. And that's fine. But like taking the more fantasy angle with this, you know, Devonte Smith scored five touchdowns last season. Maybe that's a fluke. Darnell Mooney scored four. Elijah Moore, pretty small, scored five fewer targets, but like, do these guys have a ceiling of eight or more touchdowns? Like that may only matter from a fantasy perspective, but to me, this class, in my mind, that's like a worrisome thing. And that's why from a fantasy perspective, maybe Traylon Burks works a little bit better from my perspective, or like, you know, maybe more in particular, Drake London is being like, oh, I could absolutely see him scoring 10 touchdowns a season. Interesting. Playmaker does not like Drake London as much as I think scouts do because he was very iffy in his sophomore season. So it's really just one season. And because he has lesser rate stats because USC passes so much. So his Mm -hmm. like yardage and passes as a percentage of USC's total passing game is lower than it is for guys like Wilson and Olave and Burks. But when he was healthy, it was he had a lot of 12 catch, 14 catches. He had a lot of just ridiculous stat lines when London was healthy. And, right. of course, 2020 gets mixed up because of, like, COVID shortage and everything. problem with London right now is I don't know his 40-time or anything because I think his pro day has been re-re-rescheduled for the day <laughs> after the draft at this point. Yeah. <laughs> but but if, if all you have are his height and weight and, like, basic college efficiencies, then he looks yeah. like Michael Pittman or, like, Mike Williams or Kenny Galladay. Yeah. It's, like, guys where you're like, yeah, I can see how that could become a really good NFL player, in right. particular from a fantasy angle interestingly nathan compared him to Devonte parker as far as a guy who had one really good season which was somewhat injury shortened mm-hmm. and so you're like can he repeat that we don't know he didn't do right. it before but right. you know in, ter- in terms of the size like Devonte smith was like the below the threshold guy for nfl draft ability i don't think there's a threshold around 190 195 that the nfl people look at so in this particular draft again Burks is up near the top London's near the top David Bell was at the top before he had like some really slow 40s which kind of fell off there are big receivers in this draft class it just seems like a lot of these guys tend to be seam stretchers Williams is a stream stretcher Alave is a, a seam stretcher I guess Dotson would go like a slot seam stretcher um, and that just happens to be I think how these guys shook out Joey sucks says he's disappointed that I'm not comparing any small receivers to Steve Smith. How about Sky Moore? Maybe like, I, I feel like golden Tate is the more natural comparison, but like a shorter than six foot receiver, they can get a lot of yards after the catch. There you go. Sky Moore. He, he's the guy. And he will take two defenders def- like after catching a slant and slam in them. And he will bounce back up. Sky Moore will do that. Like Steve Smith would, and probably get in their face about it. Wendell Robinson from Kentucky is another guy like that. Catch that pass over the middle, take that hit and pop up. That's one of the things you look for from those. He's, smaller he's playmakers of favorite sleeper, Wendell Robinson. But yeah. the thing about, I mean, that was the thing with Steve Smith, why he, he wasn't like a top pick in the draft is like, you look at him and you're like, you're kind of short, you're kind of small but you're not like a traditional Hunter Renfro slot receiver. Like where are you going to play in the NFL? And I think the answer probably is they're getting better at finding ways for guys like that to play in the NFL and take advantage of their like really good route running and other skills. It's just something that hadn't happened historically. So it's really hard to model how that's going to work out. Well, what's interesting though, and I've seen a lot of people talking about this as they get better at figuring out where guys should play and better at figuring out how to use guys' talents in a positive way at the wide receiver position, 
you end up with more good wide receivers coming into the league every year, mm-hmm. which means they start to become more replaceable than they mm-hmm. used to be because there's so many good ones showing up every year. Right. That's one of the things I worry about when I start looking at the wide receivers that I think are going to go in the fourth round or you know fifth round, sixth round. It's like, well, look at him in college, and though he's such a slot playmaker and things like that, and you start to ask, will he hit the NFL and have competition for that kind of job and not be able to take that job from Hunter Renfro or Rondell Moore or somebody like that? And then, well, can you play on special teams? No, I'm too tiny. Can you return punch? You're not a good punt returner just never find a role in the NFL. So once you get past a certain level, I start looking for a more complete receiver who can do more, who's like, oh, I know you're going to be okay on teams. If you're asked to block and be Kendrick Bourne and born and block, you know, from the trips, you can do those things rather than saying, here's another guy with 4.36 speed. I think that's true. I think if yeah. you're small, you need to be special. Yeah. Yeah. And not, right? just, not just college special, but like special, special. Yeah. Um, teams that need help at the wide receiver position, obviously Atlanta, big time, <laughs> uh, Green Bay, Houston, every skill position Houston needs help at, honestly. Yeah. Cleveland could really use a receiver. Oh, yeah. Indianapolis could really use an outside receiver. Uh, Arizona needs an outside receiver unless they want to start that kid Antoine Wesley that Kingsbury really likes from Texas Tech. Pittsburgh could use a slot receiver now. Yeah. And uh, New Orleans was another team that I came. Is, is Do any of these, are there any particular matches that you like when you look at these guys and you look at the teams picking in the first round and you go, that matches, that works. I like, so I, good. I was going to say, I have a thought related to the Packers, which is that Randall Cobb, who's five foot 10 and 192, he's the only Packer wide receiver in the last five years, less than six one and less than 202 pounds that had 10 or more targets in a season. Like they love big honking wide receivers, right? Mm-hmm. Especially six, four, six, five guys. And that's to me kind of interesting when they're, they're going to be in that range where, you know, maybe Garrett Wilson's going to be gone by then, but of like Jamison Williams is there and maybe Olave or Jahan Dotson is, is sneaking down that far. Like those aren't the type of players that they have typically gone after in the past. And so that's when you wonder if, are they going to, I mean, quote unquote reach from the perspective of like, the, the draft expectations to get like a Justin Ross type of guy. That's like a lot of question marks, but man, he really fits the mold of what the Packers have done in the past. I don't know. What do you think about that, Mike? I, I see them going for Olave, even though he's smaller because he's a natural seam stretcher. If Drake London were to fall there, then he fits, clicks all the boxes. He would be ideal, but it seems hard to believe he would get that far. Right. It's tricky. Who's going to fall there. One of the questions I keep circling around is who's taking Jamison Williams on the one hand, the Eagles might like him The other, because we love Alabama, everything here in, in, in Philly. On the downside, he's unavailable. So he, Williams is in this weird nether region where if you're picking early enough, you need you need help right away. You probably won't want him. And then you're late enough, they're all like looking for, well, maybe we can get this guy. So he's a wild card in this. Somebody like uh, Wilson, uh, I like him at the Jets. I also like him. It's like if this is the Falcons, how you sort of – get a playmaker right away. I love Wilson because I believe he can get open by himself on shorter routes. I know Derek and I uh, like argue about this a little bit because he's got this sort of like tap dancing, like choreography type of release. And you either love it or you hate it because it's full of like wiggly, you know, uh, extra jukes and things like that. It's probably going to get him open for the Falcons, even if he's him and Kyle Pitts are the only guys on the field. And similar for the Jets where he can be that guy who can gobble up a lot of short passes for him. 
Calvin Ridley's been one of the major success stories among those like shorter than six two outside receiver types. Right. So you're like, you know, maybe they would be willing to to grab like grab an Olave, grab a Wilson, a, a guy that's like a little bit less traditionally a number one X type receiver. Yeah, and I've been I've been uh, uh, mocking Burks to the Titans, I believe, uh, fairly regularly. They hate sh- tiny receivers. They had nobody under six feet or whatever. And in terms of diversifying that offense, giving them somebody who in the slot could be terrifying when everybody's up in the box, <laughs> you know, against their running game. Uh, like that seemed like a fit that made sense to me. And use, uh, useful title asks about Christian Watson to Green Bay. Yeah. <clears throat> of course, there's no uh, we don't do uh, FCS uh, receivers in playmaker score, but he seems to fit the bill of the yes. big speedy receiver that they want. Vertical guy works the boundaries well. Can be the guy who goes up and gets those passes. Six foot four. Uh, one thing that impressed me in the Senior Bowl. I call him the go-go gadget arms because it's a little bit of that Hakeem Butler thing again that he can get up and get out and make the contested catches along the way. I don't know how that translates to the NFL level, so that's a concern. I don't love him as a first-round pick, personally. I think everybody's kind of climbed him up there. I worry about these smaller program guys, especially when that's part of their skill set. But he does fit in the general sense. If he's somebody that comes around in the second round or something like that, a team like the Packers could use him. Where do you think he would fit in among these? Would he be below these eight guys, or do you think he fits in with like Dotson and Mechie and more? I he and Dot, well, Dotson's a smaller, leaner guy. Dotson is where Scott is, where it's like the level of frailty of the guy. Like I, I worry about him. I consider Dotson a second rounder. I consider Mechie a second rounder. So yeah, I guess he's in that he's in that tier. After London is the tier. I love Sky more. Uh, James Davis pointed out that his routes are just crazy good. They're, his routes really are crazy good. To watch him snap off quickly on a, a slant or on a dig, it's like, yeah, this is really an NFL receiver, but I worry about his level of competition as well. That's like among your second tier. I don't have everybody else in the top of my head who's in there. Guys who I would say, get them in the second round. If you're late in the first round and you're looking for receiver help, I guess you, you have to take them, but like look for those guys in the second round. Or maybe Christian Watson, maybe with the Jets, because they have the two early second round picks. Yeah. And then Elijah Moore is another undersized guy, 5'10, 178. Right. They've got Corey Davis too, but I'm not sure he's like a long-term building block per se. So maybe get a bigger guy like a Watson or you know, Pickens or something. Right. And then you they know, I would him. hope Corey Davis is a long-term building block when they gave him so much money. Well, but it's only for like another year, isn't it? I don't know how many years it is. That's true. Then the Jets can go out and get Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley at cornerbacks, recreate the Revis wall, you know, the Revis Island, and, and have a lot of fun there. Uh, bang, bang, boom, Super Bowl. They just need Zach Wilson to be not the worst quarterback by DVOA. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, for those of you who didn't see my tweet last week, my first version of the projections for next year, the Jets defense comes out shockingly good before you even – give them credit for drafting defensive players in the first round. Uh, their offense does not. <laughs> <laughs> and, and James Davis says, I wonder why teams got off the Del- David Bell train because of his 40 time. It was a slow 40 time backed up with a slow pro day. Okay. So like we we're, we were all waiting for the Purdue pro day and be like, well, maybe he'll improve on that number because you know, there's guys like Anquan Bolden who ran slow forties. And, and I think Cooper cup ran a slow 40. Um, so you you tend to discount that on one end. If you keep seeing slow results in 40s over and over again, you're worried because you're well below that threshold. Again, after 4.6, I can name the guys who succeeded in the NFL because it's a short list of people that you remember, and that's not usually a good sign. 
the, and the 40 time means a lot more for a wide receiver than it does for a running back. Yes. And, and by the by, to the Corey Davis point, uh, Thordane Hammer mentions his contract expires after 2023, but he only carries like a, a $670,000 dead cap hip after this season. So he's imminently releasable if they decide to go that way. By the way, I'll, I'll point out 40 time. You feel like 40 time matters more, but it, 40 time is not included in the playmaker projections at all hmm. because it so, sort of ends up predicting the same stuff that all the other stuff ends up. Okay. I was going to say it's, it's not about effectiveness as much as it is about style. And that's definitely something that means more from a fantasy perspective than it probably does yeah. from like an effectiveness perspective. Think- Cause like, you know, Jamison Williams, for instance, could be the best wide receiver in this class. Right. But if, if he's like the the peak type of a field stretching wide receiver like Deshaun Jackson, that's actually not as as great from a fantasy perspective where you want more targets, more catches. He'll get touchdowns, but you know that's that's not the perfect fantasy model. Right. Also, guys like Deshaun Jackson are very inconsistent from week to week and year to year. So, so they're maybe like good for DFS. For like in that ball, sense, but yeah, they're better for like a best ball scenario than for like you're you're like starting them every week in a regular league because then you're going to have to suck up their like twelve yard games where they have one screen pass. <laughs> um, finally, let's talk tight ends because I have a new projection system that I've been working on and I will debut either next week or the week after. I have to finish writing it up and decide where it fits on the schedule of articles. And we're calling it Travis, even nice. though Travis Kelsey would not have actually done like it would not have actually picked out Travis Kelsey. I wish I wish it would have picked <laughs> out Travis Kelsey as this awesome like sleeper, but it wouldn't. Uh, it did. It does do. A, uh, Jason Witten is one of the players historically that it uh, that it uh, draft projected draft position is an element of this also. So for the most part, it projects guys similar to what their projected draft position is. But if you're looking historically at guys that it projected as better than their projected draft position, Jason Witten is the best example. Anyway, uh, it's done in the same format as uh, Travis stands for tight end receiving valuation system. And the A and the I don't stand for anything. (laughs) I like it. Uh, we we caught Mike. Mike decided it should be called Travis, and then and, and then left uh, all the work. I, to everyone came else. Up, I came up with the acronym <laughs> uh, based on the idea that we, I, at one point I was going to call it G Score. That's uh, not bad. After That's, Gates, Gronkowski, and Gonzalez, it's, I think Derek Classen would have wanted it to be called Pitts already. Just, but we just call it, I'm just calling it Travis. You can't um, call it anyway. It's on the same. Uh, it, it predicts yardage. Uh, per year in the first five years, so you can compare it to playmaker score. So you do notice the top guy among tight ends is lower than all top eight wide receivers because right. that's and nobody this year stands out at tight end, which I think you know if you know how it's going for tight ends because nobody's a first round. Nobody's a first-round pick, right? Trey McBride is a second-round pick. Yeah. Originally, when I first did this, it really liked Jalen Weidermeyer. Uh, and yeah. then Jalen Weidermeyer had a horrible 40, and then he <laughs> fell down everybody's draft boards, and now it hates Jalen Weidermeyer. Yeah. Uh, so Tra- Trey McBride is the guy as far as tight ends this year, and I don't think that that's a disagreement with how scouts feel. I do feel bad that Greg Dulcich is missing his mustache in this photo. But he's got the hair. He does have the hair, but the mustache just makes the whole thing work. 
Right. So a little less Kenny G from Greg Dulcich here still looks amazing as he always does. And he, he is probably a second round pick as well. Seam stretching guy, absolutely tremendous athlete as is McBride. McBride is pretty complete, like this very safe tight end prospect in Trey McBride, uh, another outstanding uh, senior bowl player here. Um, there's two sort of, well, actually there's a couple sleepers here. The guys that, that uh, I've done more research on one is Jelani Woods, who really unusual specimen reminds me of Eric green. If you go all the way back to the, to the uh, that is going back, going way back. He looks like a right tackle on film sometimes when he's running downfield, but he is trucking down the field and he's just this ridiculous mismatch situation. Now he was playing last year in Virginia. He was a transfer from, I believe uh, Oklahoma state. He was playing probably around the 275 to 80 range at the combine. He slimmed down to something more like just a very big tight end, huge specimen, great hands, Great character guy was a great interview when I got a chance to talk to him. It's one of the guys I like on this list. One of the guys I kind of go back and forth on Isaiah Likely, Coastal Carolina. This is a program that had a huge 2020 season. He followed it up with a really strong 2021 season. Lots and lots of big plays. So that's your official, he's your official small school, sleepery, super athlete, best athlete on the field guy is Isaiah Likely. So there's a lot of guys I like in this class. These guys and a couple that we haven't mentioned yet, like uh, uh, Ruckert from Ohio State and uh, Ferguson from from um, Wisconsin. But you're right. There's no first round. There's no, there's no Kyle Pitts in this class. Right. Bellinger, I'll point out, that's the one we haven't talked about yet. Bellinger yes. is liked by the system because he's very young. So one okay. of the elements of Travis is if guys are going to be under the age of 23 – Mm-hmm. It likes them. And he's actually going to be under the age of 22 on September 1st. So he has a lot of growth potential. Wow. That's spe- probably- speaking, of, Go ahead. Gonna, speaking of Travis, Jelani Woods ran a 4.6140. Travis Kelsey, 4.63. So, hey, there's the, there's the comparison. He's like the only <laughs> guy that ran a McBride was 4.56. Uh, actually, the, the like the first round guys tend to be in the four fours to low four fives, like Evan Ingram, Kyle Pitts, Fant, uh, OJ Howard. Mm-hmm. But if you're not running that, I felt like it's it's really hard to project the tight ends too because they're all like six foot five and two hundred fifty pounds yeah. and bench eighteen times. So it's like it's hard to differentiate. So I'm gonna be really interested to read your your Travis write up, Aaron. I, yeah, uh, it incorporates you know projected draft position, forty time, age, and just like playmaker score. Uh, yards divided by team pass attempts. You talk about not being able to jack. Cade Otten, who I believe is out of Washington, who I believe is number one on NFL.com's board. Um, somebody had some injuries last year, you know, played sparingly in 2020 because guys played sparingly. Just looking at him, like the six foot five chiseled, uh, you know, just athlete among athletes along the way, he's over 23. I believe he finished six. I think he's six on the Travis ratings when they come out. But he's an example of a guy where it's just very, very hard to project, especially if you don't have that 40 time because, I mean, he runs well in the open field. He's a tremendous athlete. Is he going to be able to block at the next level? Is he going to be able to get open to the next level? That's an even harder thing to project when you're looking at tight end where blocking and some of these other things are sort of below the iceberg. Right, and blocking, I will point out, has absolutely no – plays absolutely no role in these projections whatsoever. Right, this is just projecting receiving yards. It actually, it's a role of a monkey wrench because teams are going to draft good blockers higher and make it harder to use draft position as a way to project how good of a receiving tight end the tight end is. So that's part of the complication of all of this. Or they get him in, he can't block, and he washes out, so it throws all the projections off. Like, this guy looks like an absolute monster. He comes in, they don't trust him in blocking, he doesn't see the field. Uh, Teams that need help at the tight end position, 
Will it shock you if I say the Houston Texans? <laughs> um, Indianapolis. Yep, they keep coming I think. up. New yeah, York Jack, Jack Doyle retired. They're a big, heavy personnel team. New York Giants, who are going to currently start Ricky Seals-Jones. I was about to say, don't say anymore, Mike. Can you name the four tight ends on the Giants roster? Seals-Jones is the number one. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, I'll give up. That's the only one I can name. Hit me with them, please. Chris Myerick. Don't know him. Jake Hausman, I assume you say. Uh, Ryzen John, former wide receiver prospect, quote unquote, turned tight end. That's the room. Ryzen John? I'm glad we didn't call it G-score because I wouldn't want to hear Ryzen John's G-score. <laughs> the um, Also teams that could use a second tight end who use two tight end sets a lot. Dallas, Denver, Dallas. Philadelphia. Yeah. I'd say uh, Dalton Schultz I mean, is on the franchise tag for the Cowboys, so I think that's a really good one. And then Tampa Bay, depending on what, what what's going on with Gronk, you know, if he's going to play, is he not going to play? I don't know. Right now, they've gone from having three good tight ends in Tampa Bay to having one, Cameron Braid. But if Gronk is coming back, that's two. I throw the Packers on the list too. Robert Tanyan's back on the franchise, I believe, or was a one-year deal. It's a one-year deal with some of the like fake years after, but he's yeah, okay. one-year deal coming off the ACL injury. Right. So they they will want some sort of insulation there, especially because they're rebuilding everything in terms of their playmaker core in uh, Green Bay this year. Yeah. So none of these teams really stand out to me as like, that's the guy team that's going to take McBride because mm. you don't know. By the time you get to where McBride's going to be taken, you're like at like pick 50. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. What, what, you don't know what teams have taken in the first round or whatever, but right. I feel that way about running backs. Cause it's like every team is a fit when you're talking about third round guys. Right. Every team could use another running back in the fourth. Every team could use another tight end in the fifth. Right. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. What Thor Thorne Hammer says, everyone could always use another tight end. And that's pretty true. Right. I mean, they're useful yeah. guys. They're useful guys to take in later rounds. They often are quality. Uh, they're often quality special teams guys. Yeah. Uh, so they're useful today. That's true. All right, that does it for the live stream for today, everyone. Thank you all for watching and commenting and asking questions. Thank you to everybody listening after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Uh, don't forget to listen to slash watch Splash Play on Mondays and Fridays at 2.30 and the Draft Show with Mike and Derek at 1 o'clock Eastern on Tuesday. And we'll big be one, back Big here. one next week. Big one next week. Big one. Oh, yes. Next week's draft show, folks, is going to be a big kind of mock draft discussion with uh, Mike and me and Mike Tannenbaum. Nice. And Matt Manicharian from Sports Info Solutions. Love it. So we've got a really big, cool Tuesday draft show coming to you, 1 o'clock Eastern next Tuesday. So definitely tune in for that. And then we'll be back with the sort of general off-season show next Thursday. And in the meantime, have a happy Easter Thank and you. a happy Passover for those of us who celebrate that rather than Easter. And it's a big, it's a big holiday weekend yes. for everybody. Yep. And that's the show, and we'll see you. Uh, I'll see you on Tuesday. Mike and I will both see you on Tuesday. So long, everybody.